This episode of The Good Pop Culture Club is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck. Hot luck. And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is the week of Thanksgiving. Um, you'll probably be listening to this episode right after Thanksgiving, so hopefully you all, you've all had a great and safe, very important Thanksgiving dinner with your loved ones. Um, I'm Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, uh, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Just You. Hey everyone, happy Turkey Day! <laughs> I'm not having a turkey this year, so I guess that's the incorrect moniker. What are you having? Oh, I'm doing this fun little thing where I bought a ridiculously expensive chicken and then I bought a chicken at like Ralph's for like four bucks. <laughs> I'm going to roast them the same way and we're going to do a taste test to see if you can taste the difference. Ooh. Amazing. I will keep you updated. <laughs> it's a chicken off. Also it joining, is a chicken off. Also joining us, uh, professional culture editor, Han Nguyen. Hi. Uh, so randomly, you don't know this, but like my nickname is Chicken. So, or one of my na- many nicknames is Chicken. You, so. Why? Can I, I ask why? No, that's what I'm saying. It's random. It's totally random. My my best friend who I've known since middle school, I don't know why, just started calling me Chicken. And so it stuck. Um, but I do very much like chickens and I like eating them. And, you know, but yeah, there's really no reason. So it just oh. stuck. Aren't child nicknamehood nicknames great? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, interestingly, uh, Han, H-A-H-N, is a Germanic last name that means rooster. Oh. Hey, so it all makes sense. Sure. <laughs> it's all connected by fate. Poultry? <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, it's the season of family dinners. And for that reason, uh, for today's episode, we're talking all about food movies. Or food in movies. Uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? I have started the reboot of The Animaniacs. It, okay, I was actually too young to really understand it the first time it came around. So I was aware of like what, you know, I was kind of aware of the characters. I didn't realize it was, it's like another Muppets type situation where I didn't realize it's just like all meta humor and it's <laughs> great and I love it. And, you know, entertainment adjacent job. So now all these jokes really hit hard, but mm-hmm. it just also made me realize, man, nothing's a secret, right? Like everything, like this show pretty lays out like all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. You just have to like actually listen to it. Yeah. Animanias came out during like this, golden era of 
Warner Brothers animation that included. I think the block was like Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, and then um, um, Tasmania and Freakazoid. That was like oh, the, I loved I love Tiny Toon Adventures, and I I got that. Um, Animaniacs just totally yeah. went over my head as a kid. I mean, I was older, and I and my friends and I. I will tell you how old I was. I was in college, and we watched it like devotedly <laughs> and there were definitely things though like when you're talking about industry um the there's one where it's literally the song i had oh i also had these soundtracks um and i know quite a lot of the I, songs one of my favorite cassette tapes when i was a kid was the animaniacs like original soundtrack where they had like they had the country yes. song the and capital the song States. um yeah. they had the etiquette song yes oh and they had the variety speak song and that <laughs> had made no sense to me until I moved to LA. So, which uses all of the variety lingo um, that for movies and stuff like that. And yeah. it's just ridiculous, um, but it's great. It's a very clever, clever songwriting. And, and of course the voice acting on there is amazing, which is why I've always been a very big proponent of hiring voice actors who are voice actors you know and not necessarily i agree because again i cannot watch movies where the actor's voice is too recognizable like when i watched tangled i was like that is mandy moore (laughs) (laughs) it will always be mandy moore and oh yeah not a fan and it's also taking you know money out out of the well taking food out of the mouths of people who like they this is a skill voice acting is very difficult it's not just acting um and you, you don't have someone's looks to you know like carry a performance and i i just i th- and it's crazy how many different voices that one voice actor can do so i yeah i want to give them all props uh i also happen to have a friend who is a voice actress so. um, quick adjacent quick tangent i don't know where you can find it, it used to be on like hulu but I know that voice. Wonderful documentary about voice actors. Mm. Definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, Animaniacs, great. The, and like, yeah, I'm I wondering... don't know if they ventured into other fields in the in the original series, but like there's an episode about politics, you know, where like Pinky and the Brain go to Senate. <laughs> yeah, and that one was hilarious. It's yeah, it's such a clever show because it like the references are things that even if you're in the industry, you're just like, wait, what is that? I know that's something. And then you have to kind of Google around until you figure it out. There's a, Um, (laughs) there's uh, a, yeah, it's a show with like, it's definitely, you watch as a kid for like the physical humor and like the funny voices, but you watch it as an adult for like, they, they snuck some dirty shit in there. Speaking of, well, chickens, because I was, uh, there's also a character in the original Animaniacs. I don't know if it's in the new one called Chicken Boo which is a giant chicken who uh, masquerades as a human, but it's like very clearly a chicken with like a mustache or something on. And there's always and like one person who like says it's, it's a chicken, like, but no one believes them. Right. Until it's very clear, like the mustache falls off and they're like, oh, it's a chicken. And it's literally the same joke over and over again. And I love it. So. I'm curious <laughs> if all the old like skits and characters are in this Animaniacs reboot. A lot of the characters are, um, some of them aren't. I remember originally reporting on this, but I haven't watched it yet. So Jess, I'm glad that you are liking it so far, um, but I need to check it out myself. Yeah. Cause like I, mean, I was, so I was like sold from that teaser they dropped, which was the Jurassic Park parody. And 
I'm just, I just, I don't know where I was. Or this is totally up my alley. And maybe just like I get more references now as an mm-hmm. adult. Um, you know, as a child of an immigrant, had to teach myself a lot of things. And I just don't think I was ready in my, you know, pop culture education to I mean, tackle the Animaniacs. The also, first time you were around. pretty young because Animaniacs was mm-hmm. like in the late 90s. Yeah. When it's, it had their time. Yeah. I was it's, like five. I think it was still my <laughs> Blues Clues era. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit wry for a, a kid, I think. So. But yeah, definitely sense. just go back and check out the like original run, some of the shows and some of the skits, because I think you'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, and I especially like the call out to like, it's not, it's really funny because like they are so actually more about like the behind the scenes stuff. So they call out the writers like the first episode they're doing their catch up song and you know like what's happened in the last twenty years, and um there's this before they launch into the song or there's a period of song where they're like well we don't know we're writing this in twenty eighteen so we just have to guess <laughs> I mean they weren't far off. Um, with 2020, but <laughs> well, out of great. all the all the skits you've seen so far, what's your favorite bit? I love the songs. I uh used to find Pinky and the Brain annoying, but um, it, it's quite delightful now because I just like as a child I didn't understand why with the brain was so mean. Like I thought he was a bad guy because he wanted to take over the world, and <laughs> and then I was also really annoyed with Pinky because he was so incompetent. Like that's my like. <laughs> tiger child mentality <laughs> um, but it's got to be the songs like the fact that they're cramming that much mm-hmm. pop culture rhyming humor and like story into a melody is great i mean and there's a reason why you know even in the first series like we you may not have watched the animaniacs but everyone knows the country song mm-hmm. right so yeah would highly recommend it check it out i um i recently watched a youtube video of the president's song um, mm. in the original run and went and went up to um the Clintons. Mm-hmm. And then they're like Yeah, I just Googled like, this. Apparently the, <laughs> the original <laughs> uh the original run was from ninety three to ninety eight. So yeah, yeah. Too young the first time around. <laughs> but yes, definitely check it out. Um you know watch it, binge it over the holidays. Um it's like family friendly enough, I think. All the jokes like, are buried you- enough. That, They'll like, be buried that oh, and it moves it. so quick yeah. <laughs> that you know you don't have time to fight before the next joke. So would recommend. Bahan, what is popping with you? Uh, it's a weird combination of things, neither of which I'm not sure if I want to recommend yet, but uh, but I'll just tell you. Uh so I don't know if you recall there was a series of books that I had recommended um that I called like Jane Austen Meets, you know, Buffy. And I really enjoyed that one. Um and so I s- stuck with the same author and she had written two, a two book series called Eon and Iona. Um, basically the thing is she's an Australian writer. Um, but this clearly had Asian roots. So I was kind of like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this because, um, even though it's set in a fantasy land, um, but basically there are 12 dragons in sort of like the celestial heavens or whatever it is. And then there are 12 apprentices who become the dragon eyes. They're sort of counterparts on earth. Um, And, you know, because it's sort of set in a vaguely Asian medieval, whatever era, um, it's all patriarchal. So like only 
boys are supposed to train to become these apprentices slash, you know, dragon eye masters. And then, um, and it cycles around each year, of course, because it's one per 12 years. Um, uh, but the main heroine is a girl who happens to be able to, who has a lot of abilities. And so she has to disguise herself as a boy, but then also she has a lame leg, um, from an accident. So that makes people, you know, like try to avoid her because that's bad luck because that's what a lot of people think back then is like, if you're physically deformed in some way or physically, whatever, you know, very ableist societies. Um, the one thing I do have to say is at least it doesn't feel like there's too much like identification of Asian-ness. Like every now and then they'll be like, Oh, and then I ate this thing that had like these, you know, rice balls or something in it, but it doesn't like claim anything. It doesn't talk too much about honor. (laughs) Um, it does mention something called Wa that I think is like the chi that we saw in Mulan. Um, oh, no. But it's more of like, not, it, it's, yeah, so there's energies and stuff like that. So it's kind of vaguely Asian-esque. And, but I, I, I like the idea that everyone was Asian without being mentioned to be Asian. And, uh, and it was, it was all right. Like it, it had a love story that was like the love triangle that was very similar to the previous book series I mentioned. And I don't love love triangles. Like I have a tough time with it unless that like they're fairly good, you know, options. Yeah. 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 And one guy is like, you know, the bad guy is very clearly the bad guy, but he's way more interesting than the good guy who's very boring. Isn't that what the good guy is always the better choice. Like the good response. Right. Like, but like part, uh, but, the problem with the good guy is they're not often written very interestingly because I think there's an assumption that they're good and that stands. But I was like, you know, the good guy can also have a sense of humor. The good guy can also, you know, no, like then, some- then it would be too easy. <laughs> then it'd be like, Doug, go for the stable, funny, good personality, <laughs> handsome man who loves you. Like, I mean, wow. What is the dilemma? But, here? But, but, but what if the other guy is hotter? See, that's what people thought in twilight, which I, I, I don't I don't know it's it's really it's a really indicative of your age because let me tell you as Mm -hmm. a young girl growing up I thought like Jack Dawson was Leonardo DiCaprio Jack Mm -hmm. Dawson was like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen (laughs) and to this day I still think Jack Dawson is like probably the most handsome movie character ever Mm -hmm. invented but like and I had a friend who had similar feelings and then we talk about it we're like honestly like if you were Rose would you like go with a penniless man i mean cal was not great he was abusive <laughs> but at the same time i'm like he was like yeah i'll save you from financial ruin uh which was like kind of a big deal at that time mm-hmm. as like a woman um and you know she had to you know find you know pr- find a way to save her like you know take care of her mother too and i'm just like oh like before he got like really shitty and abusive as the ship was sinking like there was yeah, Cal's fine. Like, honestly. <laughs> and then yeah. you're like, oh, I'm old now. Now it's just like, yeah, fuck the love. Give me the financial security. <laughs> uh, what happened to him at the end, Cal? He, oh, like in the in the voiceover, like uh-huh. what happens after he ends up killing himself because he loses all his <laughs> money in the Great Depression stock There's market so- crash. 
they're so clearly like we need to punish the bad guy even yeah, though he lived because <laughs> he gets on the, he basically like cowards out gets on the boat even though he's a man and isn't supposed to and then he uh, realizes that, that I, his jacket yeah. like he gave he doesn't have the heart of the ocean and i'm like we got off pretty easy <laughs> You can tell I only saw this movie once in theaters, and I was just like kind of rolling my eyes. So, <laughs> oh no, that was peak uh, romance, huh? For for many years, and I think that that also answers a lot of questions. My experience with Titanic is I watch I walked into the theater by movie hopping right when it hit the iceberg. So for the first like five years. That was what Titanic was to me before I finally saw the first half of the film. <laughs> what I love is how people are like, is this real? Like any movie that's like vaguely based on something, they're like, oh, is, is oh that Jack was a big, that real? was a big, yeah. like, I don't know if it's a real or fake Twitter thing, but yeah, like Zoomers finding out that Titanic was based on a real event. Oh, so it's like the reverse now, like some <clears throat> property or movie has gotten so big and they're like, wait, this really happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so the other thing that I'm not quite sure if I want to recommend yet, because I just started watching it is, um, I, if you mentioned, uh, remember another book I read was when Dimple met Rishi and, um, the Netflix and I think it's a co-pro with India, um, made a series based on it called Mismatched. And the reason why I'm not sure if I like it yet or not, um, it's not because it's set in India, which it is. So that changes a lot of things. Um, it was a very American tale. But what I'm not quite sure about yet is the first episode does a first person narration from the point of view of Rishi. And in the books, it alternates between Dimple and Rishi each chapter or whatever. Um, so you can see it from each of their points of view. However, when it goes to Dimple's point of view, it doesn't have narration it just shows her life and then when it went to the second episode it goes to first person but another dude so they're like building out the world and adding extra characters but so far it's been two dudes point um first person and i i don't know names well enough to uh know uh who's writing it i'm assuming men uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a, probably a safe assumption. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I was thinking, well, that's probably why they're doing it from their point of view. But at the same time, I was like, couldn't you have just gotten like, you know, like one man, one woman? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's they did. They have modernized it, blah, modernized it a lot more. So there's lots of talk about like, oh, do Bumble or Tinder or whatever um, to meet uh, people. And... I don't know. Uh, so we'll see. But it's all right. It's only like in setup stages right now. Right. And it's six episodes, I think. So we'll see how it goes. But they do the thing. The the core characters. Uh, Dimple is still very much, you know, business minded and technology minded and likes coding. So she still is wanting to. Um, so she is attending this app sort of like summer school. And then um, Rishi is still very romantic. And they do still give him like a sort of a, a creative outlet. So instead of drawing comic books, um, he is an animator, which kind of makes a little bit more sense of why he would be at this app school. Um, so at least that's still the same. We'll see how the rest of it goes. But, you know, it's interesting. Anyway, uh, so Marvin, 
What's popping with you? Huh. Not too much. I've been thinking about what my topic should be because I haven't really like read or watched anything recently besides mm-hmm. playing Animal Crossing and catching maple leaves. Um, Ooh, how lovely. Should <laughs> I get back on it? I mean, I the leaves have changed colors. It's like if you want to experience autumn, since we all live in Southern California, it's really the only way <laughs> since we can't travel anymore these days. That's fair. But I feel like no one plays anymore. So it's just like me alone catching well, leaves. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, now you have the seasonal stuff. You have mushrooms and maple leaves Ooh. and you have mushroom and maple leaf um, recipes. Furniture. I yeah. love mushrooms. <laughs> um, but also on my mind is just I want to know what look, we've heard about Jess's chicken plan. But what are you guys doing for COVID Thanksgiving? Well, what are you doing, Marvin? I am so my Thanksgiving plan for the last few years is um a Thanksgiving lunch with my aunt and my brother. Usually we go to like a claim jumper and just do their set meal or something. And then Thanksgiving dinner with my girlfriend and and her mom. Um so this year we'll probably do the same. Um we'll probably do like a lunch in my backyard um with my with my family and then head over to her place and do a dinner in her garage. Uh we're trying to stay socially distanced because um, she lives with her mom and I live with my aunt. They're both, you know, over 70. So like, we're, we're trying to be careful. Um, so we're going to do like, I think what she's going to do is she's going to prepare two like table settings. Mm-hmm. And then so we have a Costco folding table that we're going to set. So I'll be on one end and her and her mom will be on the other end. And we'll, <laughs> just, we'll have like this weird. On the other sides of the garage. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be like this weird, like janky version of like your Jane Austen dining room scene. I love it. I've been I've been doing that since the beginning. We we have like a lot of like of those also, you know, foldable like eight foot tables from Costco because we used to do hot pot in the garage. And uh you should not hot pot with other people during COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but uh like if my the only other people we really like even engage with is my sister who lives outside of the house, but with her with her partner, but they're pretty like contained, you know, they both work from home. So, you know, they. I was like, yeah, it's like you, they eat on one side of the garage <laughs> and you eat on the other. And then you're like, here's some disposable things. Please throw it away. <laughs> yeah. I think, this, I think this will be the closest I'll get to like one of those big fancy dining room scenes, you know. <laughs> will there be no touch dancing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I want to. Do you ever wonder? This is a good twist. Like. Emma, but COVID. <laughs> yeah, uh, she would probably see. actually be a terrible person. Not from like a lack of, not from like a malicious intent, but like her whole point is that she's dumb, right? Like she's ignorant and she's privileged. <laughs> so she would be a rich lady who like has all the servers. She'd be Kim Kardashian, where she's like, "We're being safe. Everyone got tested. We're on a private jet." But like everyone else serving them is like totally mm-hmm. PPD'd up. That mm-hmm. Emma is Kim Kardashian. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if this did happen during Regency times, it'd just be a plague and they'd all be dead, right? <laughs> wait, wait, sorry. Going back to if Kim Kardashian is Emma, does that mean um what's the main guy's name, Mr. Knightley? Is is Kanye Mr. Knightley? <laughs> oh god, no. Oh, oh. No, Knightley actually has a conscience and is a little bit more morally upstanding than Emma is because he, you know, like shames her uh when she's mean to that lady. So um he would actually make her feel bad about like 
maybe taking an advantage of someone who isn't as privileged. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry, I just also realized Mr. Elton is Charles in the Crown, isn't he? Oh wow! I'm ooh slowpoke here. Yeah, I was just like, oh, he looks familiar in my mind's eye. <laughs> yes, uh, he is also in a very nice uh, masterpiece series called The Girls of Curf- Corfu, uh, which is a family that uh, I don't know. Or some for some reason stuck in a house in in Corfu, but it's kind of sweet. Anyway, uh, and he's the eldest son there, and he's a writer. Um, I think I yeah. got that right. Yeah. What do you think uh, of Thanksgiving, Han? So the thing is, I don't actually have any traditions. It changes up depending on whatever I feel like. Obviously, this year is a little less. Um, has fewer choices than usual. My friends did ask me about coming over and. I, I was kind of hesitant, um, uh, even though I'm fairly certain that they are have been like going nowhere because they're very good at going nowhere. So I'm probably safe with them. But um, I'm playing with the idea of doing some sort of like janky Thanksgiving, like Popeyes is you know has something they call their turkey, which is basically a twelve piece meal chicken deal. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe I'll do that. But um, I don't. Yeah, I don't have any food plans. But one of the reasons why I have been hesitant to make plans is I was thinking that this is four days, um, Thursday through Sunday, that I haven't been using my weekends very well. So I was hoping to start writing during this time and use it to actually, you know, kind of get an idea. There's uh, a few workshops I want to apply for, things like that. So I'm not going to finish by any means, but I was thinking at least, you know, I c- if I have four days, I can at least get a very good start on my ideas. And so that's kind of my plan for Thanksgiving. I'm actually not, like, this is less busy than I usually would be. I used to cook Thanksgiving dinner for like my entire family. And then I stopped because they were all not very respected. You know, they are don't they, like Chinese they people. Too. Yeah. They're not great. Very grateful. And they like never came on time. And I'm just like, which was also a little bit of my like young control freakness. And I now understand like you cannot expect that many people to show up on time. Like that's just a fool's errand. But part of me was like, if I'm going to take all this time to cook everything from scratch, like, because a lot of the, like, canned prepared stuff, it just doesn't taste good or to me, or it's, like, very too salty. Like, there's no flavor. It's just salt bombs. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. So for the last seven years, I've either gone out to eat, which is actually very lovely, go to Lowry's, mm-hmm. or we, or I've been in the last few years realized that Thanksgiving is a wonderful time to travel internationally because mm-hmm. flight international flights are very cheap and if you take the 3 days of Thanksgiving off, week off cuz you get Thursday Friday off, you actually get 10 days off for five, 3 days. So I was like, "Hell yes." Um so I've been to Japan on Thanksgiving week. I've been last week this time I was in this year last week I was in Italy with my boyfriend and that was lovely. I was like, I think people were having Thanksgiving dinner and we were eating truffles that we hunted. Like I want that one. You know, I want that Thanksgiving. It's fine. <laughs> oh, that's nice. All right. Well, that's what's popping. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about food and movies. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's the holiday season, and with that comes a deluge of food in movies. Um, a lot of family dinners, lots of stories revolving around the family table, um, and also a lot of just food in general for, for us here in America. Um, so with that, we're going to be talking about food movies and food in movies uh, for this week's episode. I guess my first question to Jess and Han as, as our resident story critiquers, I guess. Um, you can say makes... haters. You can say haters. <laughs> it's fine. What makes a food movie? I mean, my my personal belief is that the main plot, there's, you know, there are obviously subplots, but the main plot has to revolve around food in some way. Um, and whether it's a rom-com that has like two chefs or something like that, or a family, you know, uh, that's dealing with stuff, but it's, you know, they're leading up to a big dinner or sharing recipes. Uh, some of my favorites are the ones where like the food kind of plays into romance and sex. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like if like, there are many, many movies, like, there are many movies that have really amazing food scenes and subplots. Like, let's say there's a wedding and then there's all of a sudden, you know, like a good scene with food. But that's not a food movie. Yeah, like Crazy Rich Asians. I think there's some pretty great scenes highlighting the food. But it's not a food movie because the food has nothing to do with the story. Right. I think a food movie or a movie about food needs to involve the food itself as the central thing. Like if you take it away, what is this movie about? And you're like, nothing. That's a food movie. Or has to be about cooking or, um, you know, some, some form of that. Or, like, the major scenes have to be kind of held together by food. So, like, like, it, like there are movies that are more, like, explicitly about, like, chef cooking or those cultures or food culture. Like, uh, Chef, the movie with the Jean Favreau movie. Um, and then more maybe on, on the other end would be something like Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is about a retired chef. So, that's still very central. And, like you know, that level of control he has and, you know, him and the device of him cooking this mega dinner for his daughters, his three adult daughters every week. And that is like the framing device of the story. Uh, yeah, I would say also usually the biggest indicator is the title. It has to have a food adjacent word <laughs> in it, but sometimes movies that have food words in them aren't about food aren't, so that's the trick not about you gotta be careful but like, like <laughs> i wonder does cloudy with a chance of meatballs would you consider that a food movie that is not a food movie <laughs> there's tons of food because you though. could it's tons of food and i love that movie cloudy with a chance of meatballs too specifically one of my favorites <laughs> But if you like replace it with something else, like it could have been about plants, you yeah. know, like sentient plants. It could have been sentient 
um, or like smarter animals or like whatever sentient rocks. Like it still kind of would have been the same story. But Ratatouille core. is a yes. movie. And those are tend to be actually some of my favorite. It's about, um, you know, I'm super like West Coast elite snobby. So totally aware. But I love the stories that, you know, cooking and being a chef is always an allegory for, you know, the screenwriter and creation and making <laughs> art. And uh, if you don't want to make a movie about Hollywood itself and the movie making process, you know, you kind of put, punt it one degree away and you usually it's about writers right like other writers or but i think chefs it's it's such an easy kind of transferal because not only is it kind of that same question at the root about creativity and creation and authorship and cre- yeah but it's also such a visual wonderful thing to shoot food mm. ratatouille i think is one of my favorite was it a Pixar movie or was it a Disney movie? It was Pixar. It is a right? Pixar, Pixar movie. Um, I, I didn't realize it was an actual dish until after I watched it. <laughs> um, that's just how ignorant I was of French food, I guess, at that point. Um, I made the mistake of showing it to my five-year-old niece at one, once, and she was so bored. Wait, what? Really? Well, I think it's also because she really wanted to watch Frozen. Ugh. <laughs> kids these days. Anthony Bourdain had consulted on ratatouille so <laughs> as the thomas keller yes it's so fantastic great. it's a very pixar way to approach it i can it. see that i mean it was probably the closest like more most accurate portrayal of a kitchen in media because like a lot of times like a lot of times f- with food movies especially restaurant movies the kitchen is shown as like this immaculate place of like this mm-hmm. like ex- like experienced professionals doing their thing but it, in real life it's actually pretty messy and kind of like vulgar Right. Oh, they're pirates. Yeah. Chefs yeah, yeah. are modern cooks and chefs are modern day pirates. Like they are very rough and tumble and very like you know, it's a really tough physical life and you don't get to see your family in any of the important days. So you kind of have this weird like bond with whoever you're working with, like you're going through the trenches of whoever you're working with. Yeah, they're pirates. Mm. I had a taste of that when I was in college because I worked at my cafeteria. That's true. You may be the only one here of the three of us with like actual food service, Marvin. So you might have to be our resident expert for uh, yeah. Sorry for real food service. I worked at a concession stand, and that was as far as I got because I knew I would try to drop things if I were a waitress or in you know in the kitchen. Oh, see, I had had afternoon classes, so I always had breakfast shift. So Mm. I'll come in the morning, crack a billion eggs. I learned the. I learned how to crack them in what in one hand, so I can do two at a time. Oh, can you do two in one hand, like one-handed to that. break two level. eggs? I mean, <laughs> you have to have a pretty good. Marvin's span. a tall guy; he could do I have it. A gi- I have a giant hand, so he I could does probably have giant. Do it. I didn't want to say that, but you <laughs> called yourself out. You do have giant hands, so I expected you to be able to two crack mm. two eggs at once. I'm a six foot tall big boy, so I have giant proportions. <laughs> um. um well, here's yeah. the secret with ratatouille. Ratatouille, the dish actually sucks. <laughs> My friend did a spin-off <clears throat> of it, and it was actually really good. I think isn't, it's just it. You need to keep it simple, though. Isn't it just like zucchini, squash, and like eggplant and tomato? That sounds yeah. great. But it's letting yeah, it's letting the natural sweetness of those vegetables, and then like really season it just very lightly. So it mm. enhances those flavors. My friend made it with um, Israeli couscous, 
which I think was really a good smart idea because it sort of like made it fuller, but it also like absorbs some of that flavor. So yeah, yeah I like I like it, but I think it needs to be done well, and that's a uh, not always <laughs> the case. It, it's think- also just it's a very French like comfort dish, which you know it's perfect for the movie and the name, and it, I'm glad. Hooray for you, Pixar. I'm glad it all worked out thematically for you, lined up thematically for you like that. But, like, I personally just did not grow up with, like, any French flavors. So, like, that is not, like, Mm. I think it's one of those things you have to grow up with. Like, I'm sure if I put, like, a bowl of, like, Hong Kong Spam macaroni soup in front of, like, some grown Frenchman, he'd be like, what the fuck is this? But I was like, that's my comfort food. There's probably a movie where it's a food competition where the final dish is that Hong Kong dish, and then the the, the snobby French judge tastes it and goes back to his childhood, just like in Ratatouille, <laughs> right? Okay, I mean, it, I mean, to, I have to the, agree. Wasn't that the plot of um, "Always Be My Maybe"? At the end, she opens a restaurant sort of, with comfort food. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's Korean comfort food too. Mm. So it's like the her, her best friend's mom taught her to cook Korean food. So she wasn't even doing her Vietnamese food. I'm sure there was other things on the menu that had Vietnamese <laughs> influences though. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if I was, if I was to pick like a favorite food movie, it would probably be like Ratatouille would probably be the top of my list. Cause I remember watching the movie a bunch of those. This was in my, like I was super into top chef at the time, super into no reservations. So I was like into restaurant culture um, because like, like just said, like, I didn't grow up eating fancy western food like we had you know mcdonald's and fast food and fast casual but like not like sit down restaurants so um yeah i didn't really get into like restaurant culture until i want to say college because that was when they started doing like restaurant week and this was like early restaurant week where they actually let us pick from the actual menu and not like their like pared down menu that they have these days yeah, I miss Restaurant Week. They tried doing it, I think, here during COVID, and uh, just couldn't get my get excited about it. So I feel bad because you know I'm trying to support people, but you know also myself. I mean, we're in what wave two now, and restaurants are closing on Wednesday, right? No dining or dining um, or or any in person dining, right? Outdoors. So not even patio anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that's tough. I'm sure a lot of these people were, you know, these restaurants were relying on holiday, you know, sales. Um, so they had to immediately switch. I'm sure they got a heads up also, but they've yeah. had to s- definitely switch to, you know, take out again. If, well, in addition, um, like they were probably already still doing that's take out. Tough. Jess, did you know that our local Wood Ranch closed? I did. Um, and Wood Ranch is something that someone has to explain to me because <laughs> I, I'm aware it is beloved by middle aged Asian mothers, Asian mothers, and I, I don't really understand why. Um, it's not particularly good. Um, it's not particularly anything special I mean, beyond the bad. standard like white you know western american fair so I, I don't but i know some like asian moms who ride hard for wood ranch like they don't they only eat asian food and wood ranch what is wood ranch wood ranch barbecue it's it's like the panda inn of american barbecue yeah mm. it's like a it's like a it's a little more it's a step like, up from it's not it's black it's Angus, like I want fast to say. food yeah mm-hmm. like you it's a still sit-down restaurant but it's definitely casual 
And yeah, you get all these kinds of like different barbecue, but I, I don't even know if it's like real smoked barbecue. Like, I, I don't know, Marvin. Asian moms like it for the same reason Asian moms love Cheesecake Factory. Unlimited bread. <laughs> Their bread is very good. But I'm also like, I ain't going to sit down and drive all the way to the mall, Santa Anita <laughs> Mall, to get like some like dried out brisket. <laughs> So, yeah. But yes. Uh, no, Ratatouille is probably my favorite too, but I didn't like, I didn't put it down because it was like, I feel like that was like obvious. And like, I'm like, I'm sure someone's going to talk about Ratatouille in this discussion. I think in terms of like the pinnacle of like, of, of, uh, for our generation of at least, like, you know, it's, it's a movie that has really fun food porny scenes, but also <laughs> says something deeper about the act of creation. And it's like just really cute. And he's a rat. And every time I see a rat, I should be scared and disgusted. <laughs> but I'm a little bit it's like, that's oh, kind of cute. Have you seen East Coast rats? No, not pizza rat. Not the ones <laughs> that like can drag humans down into the gutter. I saw a rat once that was the size, literally the size of a puppy. Oh God! Oh my God! That was a possum. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. Um, I did go last time. I was I was in Paris last year for um for my mom's birthday, and we went walking to the restaurant where we're gonna have her birthday dinner, and we saw a bunch of rats. And I was like, Oh my God! It's like ratatouille. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no! The average lifespan of a rat is two years. Wait, when did ratatouille come out? Like 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jess, what are your other favorite food movies? I have a lot. I like to keep it light mm -hmm. for the food movies because I, food brings me comfort and happiness. So I don't want none of your like deep, dark shenanigans getting involved with like the things I love. So two, I would really recommend if you want something fun and light and rom-com-y this season is uh one's a little easier to access the 100 foot journey is on netflix it is a 2014 film that okay so caveat you do kind of have to turn off your like pc brain a little bit for this <laughs> it's not like the worst offender but like this would not fly today because it's a white director a white writer and a white based off a book by a white writer about Basically, two families in this small French town. One is Indian and has just moved, has just immigrated in. Um, and one is the, she's the one woman is the kind of the headmaster or the headmistress of this Michelin star restaurant in this like fancy, this fancy restaurant in this very small village. So like people come to the village to visit this restaurant and they, the Indian family decides to stay after eating basically beautiful french produce which is very delicious and they're like we're gonna stay here we're gonna settle here and we're gonna open our own restaurant so they were restaurateurs in india and um you know they open so there's the 100 foot journey refers to the different worlds between these two restaurants even though they're 100 feet apart so a little bit you know like green booky in that sense but two things it's got going for it manish dayal that's like reasons one to five, who was most recently seen on Holiday on Netflix. He's also on The Resident. He's just so cute. Like, he's so cute. Like, I just want to, like, he's shoot him cute. down and put him in my pocket. And he plays, like, the chef of the Indian family. He's, like, the prod prodigy, like, prodigal son, prodigy, sh master chef. And it is kind of interesting to see. I mean, at the end of the day, it is about, like, oh, 
I should forget some. Oh, number reason two is like Helen Mirren plays the mean French lady and <laughs> she's pretty great. And you know, at the end, it's a feel good movie. They kind of learn to come over to differences. And though, like, the white people are like kind of the snooty bad guys. Like, it is like not villainizing Indian food or anything like that. So, like, that's good. At least y'all did that. But can I, like, I was doing research. Okay, can we talk about this creative team? This creative team of white guys. Weirdest team to get together for a food-related rom-com. Director, Swedish guy, Lassie Halstorp, did What's Eating Gilbert Get Grape? The Cider House Rules? Uh, salmon Fishing in the Yemen? And then, like, some lighter stuff like Dear Jean, and he did do Shock a lot, but that's, like, more of a drama. And I'm like, Guys, literally, what's eating Gilbert Grape ends with, spoiler alert, them burning down the house with their dead, obese mother in it so she doesn't have to be ridiculed in death. And Cider House Rules is about abortion. (laughs) And I'm just like, sir, how did you come to this place? Now you are making dog movies and the Nutcracker for Disney? (laughs) What a trajectory. And then Stephen Knight the writer of this movie has done <laughs> only psychological thrillers up until this movie. So I don't know what happened. I don't know who, you know what? So the producers are Steven Spielberg and Oprah. They, I, I don't know why they chose this team, but I'm sure they were like, he's like, just do this film. And he's like, okay, Steven. <laughs> but he wrote Eastern Promises, the gangster Russian mafia movie with Viggo Mortensen with that, that deals with a Russian mafia trying to kill a baby because it is evidence of a rape. It's a dark-ass movie and, you know, stuff like that. And then he goes from that to the 100-foot journey. (laughs) But it's it's lovely and it's about finding yourself and finding your home. And yeah, just check it out. It's it's delightful. And then the other movie, also wild. And Han, we've we've kind of dabbled around this. Okay, simply irresistible. I'm gonna try to explain this movie. Okay, Han, tell me if I'm missing anything. Stars Sarah Michelle Geller and Sean Patrick Flattery. Flannery? Flannery, I think. Two very nineties names that most people probably forgot about. It is about a woman played by Sarah Michelle Geller who has inherited her mom's like catering business or restaurant business, but she's a terrible chef. So like the businesses losing money and is like on its last legs she goes shopping one day and buys a magical crab (laughs) that imbues her with cooking talent specifically the magical ability to imbue her emotions into the food she makes and makes it delicious because people start having these very intense emotional reactions to it and she has a romance with this guy who manages a like very fancy department store Mm -hmm. and then they're opening a restaurant in the department store and she somehow ends up working in there and yes it is as weird as it sounds but it's also very charming (laughs) i mean there's a magical crab there's a magical crab like that is the framing device that is the device of this movie a magical crab that kind of like puts its claw up and goes ding ding or like and then stuff happens and it's crazy because this is a live action film with a magical crab yes. this is not ratatouille yes this is a live action <laughs> film that was made by a studio like and released theatrically like let's just like the 90s were a wild time guys 
I love it so much. It, it's like as long as you embrace the magical crab, then you will embrace the magic of this romance. Yes, um, it's very uh, yeah. like charmingly, beautifully shot. It's like very like uh, like the food scenes when she's cooking. Once she's a good cook, because again, a magic crab has imbued her with that talent. I think there's like one scene where she makes an eclair, and it's like the most like sensual, like luscious looking thing. It's very luscious, I would say, is the word to describe this movie. And they draw on a lot of like 40s musical Fred Astaire aesthetics elements music and there's like this checkerboard dance floor that is very striking that lost scenes and there's like fog right at one point there's like fog just descends in the room into the dining room but it's great it's great I don't know if I'm selling it but the end is it's great it's a little harder to find this is like a pretty deep cut in the rom-com canon but uh, I think it was like a very formative text for me, Han. I don't know if it was for you. No, I agree. I, I, I'm i a huge fan of really like food-centric food movies. Like some of them that are supposed to be about food are not as much. And I really love this film <laughs> because it's just, it, it's just crazy enough that it works. Um, and it's a still romantic. Uh, the Magical Crab. I I don't know how many food movies deal with romance and magic and food, but there are a lot. And this one is probably the most unique of them all because of this this crab that has a personality and um and you know helps her. Uh, I don't, I I really I actually need to rewatch it because it's been quite a while. I do remember there was a wine store restaurant that was holding screenings of food movies with dinner pairings um and that was one of them and i was trying to like my hardest to get everyone to go <laughs> so uh but then i couldn't because of you know other things but um yeah i i highly recommend it and i would also recommend maybe um having a special dinner while you're watching it i think it would be a nice would day. you eat crab while you are watching this movie or is that like not I, I think you could. Uh, it depends on how squeamish you are, I think. Um, it Like, I wouldn't, you know, eat pork and watch Okja, but I would, you know, <laughs> uh, oh. yeah, I think maybe. Is Okja, would that be a food movie? It's a movie <laughs> that, about food. It's, I think it's a food movie. Yeah. It's about food production yeah, in that way, but like, that's a bleak yeah, food it's, movie. It's, and that's like, yeah, that's what I don't want to watch. Well, yeah, there are a few movies. bleak food movies that I can think of that aren't even documentaries, but Okja's probably at the top. I think The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover is also kind of disturbing. I remember watching it and being like shocked um, by certain scenes. Uh, and I was like, this isn't very much of a food movie. And it made me want to lose my lunch. Um, is Silence of the Lambs a food no, movie? No, but it has a great it No, has a that's, great that's, that's a bit of a stretch there. Hannibal, though, is very much Hannibal's a food show. show. Uh, yes. it's, it's a yes, show that I, I will like defend up and down as like, amazing. But of course, you know, that also had, uh, I think, Jose Andres as a uh, consultant. Wait, and really? Are you, are you being serious? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've never seen a Hannibal. For example, he would say, like, uh, the, the writers would be like, well, how would someone prepare a leg? And then he would kind of think it through oh, and God. sort of like, oh yeah, it's it's fantastic. I can imagine Jose Andres oh. explaining this very, very enthusiastically. <laughs> 
So well, a leg would have like a lot of muscle tissue. It'd be pretty rough, so you'd probably have to braise it or roast it for a very long time. Because it's like we use it a yeah, lot. It's 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 a great show uh, for food, but also just visually. I think it was just a very sensuous show. Um, uh, we, I mean, if we were talking food shows, I would also say Pushing Daisies had a lot of pies in it, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, I, I think movies do food better unless you're talking about like food competition shows because a lot of people don't know how to write about food on an ongoing basis i think so um yeah but speaking of pies though can we talk about i mean not a tv show or a movie but waitress the musical oh, i was gonna say waitress the movie um I, waitress it, the movie love, is great yeah. waitress the musical not a fan and i will tell you why first first song the first words there's like a there's like a little musical theme motif that comes over and over again it's like butter mm-hmm. sugar and she teaches you how to make a pie it's wrong <laughs> see <laughs> that is not how you make a pie because if you want a flaky crust you do not put like on stage she puts dumps like butter in the pies like that is not how you make a pie you cannot put liquid fat into flour if you want it to be flaky putting liquid fat makes it Joey and I was like, this musical has lost all credibility. I'm out. And I had to sit through for the next three hours. Aww, I, I've only watched the musical. I haven't seen the movie. Movie is pretty good. I didn't realize it was uh um Felicity and Nathan Fillion joint. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie Russell <laughs> with that beautiful, luscious yeah. hair. It was a I I love that movie in a way that like I was surprised to because I didn't know what I was getting into. When I watched it, it's like um, an indie movie, right? It's yeah, it's an indie movie. Also, mm-hmm. the the it's so the backstory is so the sad. Story is so yeah, sad. Yeah, it's very sad. I'm not gonna bring it up necessarily here, but just Google it. Yeah, it's really it's very sad. sad. Um, and then uh, also, I don't. I'm always kind of hesitant when things are set in the South. Um, but I think it was it it was a lot smarter than I expected it to be. Um. Because I just thought it was going to be like, oh, lady, you know, enters a pie contest. But then there's like, she, she has a horrible relationship with her husband. And it's, it's yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a lot in there that's a lot deeper than you would expect it to be. If you've seen the musical, you know what we're talking about. But it's not as, um, even though it's darkly funny in the movie, it's uh, it's it doesn't go, I mean, it's not as light as the musical, clearly. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend that. That was actually, I have so many favorite food movies. That's one of my top ones, especially of the, you know, the last, I guess, 20 years. But um, the movie I really want to recommend, I still haven't, no other food movie has topped it. And it's from 1985. And so that's why I'm just like, I keep coming back to this. Uh, It's actually a Japanese movie called Tempopo. Mm. Um, and it's by, let's see, hold on. I put it in here. Um, so it's a food comedy. Um, it's by Juzo Itami. Um, you can watch it on HBO Max, Jess. Um, I think it's also on Ooh. Criterion. I thought it was on Canopy, but it's not. I Is it on before. regular HBO? Because I still don't have Max you can just uh, You can also just rent it. <laughs> you can just rent it anywhere also. Um, like Voodoo, Amazon, whatever. Um, but what I love about it is so deep into the food and especially, you know, Japanese food culture. Um, but the main plot is there's a widowed single mother 
who uh, is running a Ramanya. And, but, you know, she's not doing that well. And so like all these truckers come through and they'll eat and then, you know, they'll just kind of leave and there's still like broth at the bottom of the bowl. And so she's like, what's going on? Like, that's the, that's the telling thing about most soup noodles. Like if you're not going to like bring the bowl up to your mouth and slurp the rest of it, then you're not doing that well. So, um, two truck drivers, uh, one of them who, who is Ken Watanabe, um, decide to help her out. I can't remember exactly why. And so it's kind of, they do this thing where they're like snooping around and looking at her competition. They'll be like looking at their trash and it's like, see, these are the soup, you know, these are the soup bones they're using. Um, and then like trying to figure out the, the noodles and stuff like that. So it's a really cute story about her sort of turning around her life and making the, like the perfect bowl and, um, and then watching them like, and I think she, there's a romance there. It's been a while since I've seen it. But um, so all of that in it, in and of itself would be enough. There's a lot of noodle talk. <laughs> it's just everything about it. It's just like, it makes you want ramen. I would definitely say eat some ramen and maybe have some sides when you're watching this. But mm-hmm. what I love about it is, um, there are also all these subplots. There's one main subplot where there's this uh, gangster who's wears like a snazzy white suit, and he's has a lover, and they're constantly like sharing food in sexy ways. Like there's this really hot scene where they're literally sharing a a raw egg yolk back and forth through their mouths and trying not to break it. So it's like a kiss. And and then of course it breaks, and that's like ooh, <laughs> release. Is that hot or is that? I mean, I, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not opposed to raw egg yolks and neither are the Japanese. So that may be some. Oh, I'm yeah. fine with raw egg yolks. I just don't want one from <laughs> anyone's mouth. mouth. Not even not <laughs> even my boyfriend. It's, it's an interesting scene, let's say. There's also one, you know, there's a scene where there's like a young uh, oyster shucker <laughs> that he gets with a little bit. Um, it's just a whole bunch of weird stuff. And then there are even smaller subplots that are sort of vignettes that um, for characters that you don't meet again Um like there's this uh, ultimate ramen master who is trying to teach his little acolyte, like this is how you eat ramen. He'll be like, so you move the the little fish to the side and you stroke it. No, the piece of pork to the side and you stroke it to apologize. Like <clears throat> I'll eat you later. And then you do, <laughs> and it's just so cute. Um, there's one. Uh, there's this little vignette that I thought was hilarious, where you see this really sort of like blustery businessman, Japanese businessman, coming home and rushing home, and he's just like gets home and he just wants dinner. He's like, so he's yelling, yelling for dinner. And then you see his poor wife is on her deathbed. She's like dying, but he wants dinner. So she gets up, pulls out the walk, makes all this food. And it's horrible because you're just like, what the hell? And then she dies. Sorry. And then, and then, and then like the kids are crying. He's like, shut up. This is mom's last meal that she made. You have to eat it. And it's just like, oh my God. When you talk about like, culture and like the patriarchy i'm just like that's so it, it it's just horrible but i loved it because i was like that's so much of my family um but there are many many other vignettes that i won't spoil for you even though i just spoiled that one um i highly recommend this movie i don't know how it plays now because it was from the 80s but i think a lot of it is still fairly true um i would i would t- probably just say you know i i don't think it's as sexist as you would think um <laughs> it, it's clearly, you know, 
criticizing the businessman. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I like it. I might have to put it on, that on my watch list as soon as HBO Max gets onto <laughs> my Roku box. Yeah, I might watch it this weekend while I'm cooking. I love cooking while watching food things because <laughs> it's like immersive. Um, it's very satisfying. Nothing's better than either cooking or eating while you're watching. Oh, uh, I have to. Like, food. even if I'm not eating the thing that's proper for the movie, I have to eat something because I'm far too um, suggestible. Like when they. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm so gullible. <laughs> and I would totally be like susceptible to like mind control. Cause I will just see like. When uh, it comes to food. That's that why is. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll see like one shot of like, uh, you know, like watch after I'll be watching Tom Popo while I'm like pre- doing prep for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'll be like, man, I don't want any of this stuff. I just want ramen. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know what? Now that I think about it. I don't know if I have HBO Max, but I might just rent it and then maybe I'll have ramen for Thanksgiving. Turkey ramen. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I always with leftover turkey, um, I always make it Asian. So like I will do a curry. I will do, um, I definitely in any sort of noodle dish, but yeah. How much do you want to bet out there somewhere? There is a Thanksgiving ramen with turkey broth, cranberries. And stuffing. A hundred percent, but an Asian person didn't make it. <laughs> I do love a good Thanksgiving sandwich. That is the highlight. That is that is the one thing I kind of am like hesitant or regretful about because the turkey, for some reason, like a chicken Thanksgiving leftover sandwich just doesn't hit. <laughs> but like you, you still need that like slice of roasted turkey, but it's not worth the. It's not worth the other like nineteen point seven pounds. You're, you know, you have to deal. You have to work through. Um. So there is a Thanksgiving ramen by Top Chef competitor Dale Taldi. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's Asian. Is Does there stuffing in it though? <laughs> I mean, I think the idea. I don't necessarily think it makes you a traitor because I think you know, kind of like with fried rice. Like it's yeah. sort of like a a palette that you can adjust as needed. Um, so I like the Dale from his both his seasons, probably because he was the only Asian guy in his in that cast. Yeah, but also that yeah. he wasn't afraid to get angry. I thought. Oh my funny. god! Yes, he called shit out, which was very cathartic. Well, hopefully, we gave you some good suggestions to watch um, during your Thanksgiving. Uh, food coma. Um, Jess Han, thank you so much for joining me once again. Talk about the good food pop that's in their lives. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at JessJewTweets. And I am also on Twitter at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yuet. You can find the podcast at Good Pop Club. And you can check out our past episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, happy Turkey Day. Um, Hope you all are doing well. Stay safe um, out there if you're going to head out for your Black Friday uh, shenanigans. And Jess Han, I'll see you all next week during um, as we open up Christmas season in the States. Ooh, (laughs) very excited. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.
Ryan, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 